it's really amazing uh, the, how the worship service comes together to kind of meet us where we're at in the moment. Uh, I don't know if you, when you came in this morning, did you notice anything different about our neighborhood? Maybe something you've never noticed before. Uh, when you leave, uh, just take a notice of some of the yards or some of the people that might be walking around. Today is the first day of the Jewish holiday Sukkot, right? Does anybody know what Sukkot is? Maybe you don't, but it's the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so in some of the yards, you're going to see these, these uh, little buildings that have been erected. They're kind of like little tents. And, uh, but it is a reminder uh, of the, the, as, they, as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, God brought them through 40 years of this wilderness wandering, this desert wandering to a time of plenty and to a time of harvest. So every year, in coordination with the time of harvest, they celebrate the blessings of the Lord. And so we just sang that song, Blessed Be Your Name. Though I walk through the wilderness, when you find me in that desert place, you pour out your blessing. Everything that you poured out to me is a blessing. And so as we come into our time of offering this morning, I just want us to keep that in mind, that no matter where you find yourself today, whether you find yourself in wilderness wandering, whatever it might be, or you find yourself uh, uh, in a place of abundance, God has poured out his blessings richly upon you. And so we pour out those things back upon God during our time of offering. So I'm going to pray. Our ushers are going to come forward and take up our offering uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, that uh, we can celebrate even in the midst of our wilderness wandering in a desert place, Father, because we trust you. We know, Father God, that you will provide in all things, and you have poured out your rich blessings upon us in so many ways. And so as we acknowledge that, as we, as we trust that, Father God, we, we turn back these blessings upon you uh, because our desire is to bless your name in all ways. And so we do that by the giving of these gifts today. Uh, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, as the ushers are coming by to uh, bring uh, to collect offerings this morning, uh, we're also going to dismiss those children that are of age for kickstart. And remind me, is that fourth and fifth grade? Okay. It's me. Thank you. I'm glad I looked that young that you think I'm supposed to be back there. That's awesome. Um, and so as they leave, I just want to uh, draw our attention to our sermon series. Oh, by the way, I just I thought of this as Katie was up here earlier and, and introduced herself. I, I haven't introduced myself. I know most of you know who I am, but I know that there are a few of you that are new here today, and we're glad to have our visitors here. But my name is Lowell Kosak. I am one of the elders uh, here, and I'm also the interim pastor uh, for a season, and so I'm glad to be able to serve in that way and to share with you. And uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to go into our second message in our series, Sit, Walk, Stand. Last week, we talked about the importance of our position in Christ as He sits at the right hand of the throne of God and has and has and has and sits there in power. That He invites us to come and sit with Him. That our, our, our work, our job, our, what we do is not nearly as important as where we sit in him. We start by sitting in him. And then that brings us to the place 
where we can then walk in Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk a, talk a little bit about today. I want to remind us of uh, where we ended in our, pa- our passage last week in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul will write this in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with God, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I was uh, actually sharing this verse with our Bible study on Monday night, and that's all the farther we got. And uh, my goodness, just such a beautiful conversation of the, the elements uh, that are found in this verse. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And what I'd like to do is I'd kind of like to turn those, that verse a little bit to kind of be a commitment uh, or a reminder of who we are, this idea that, that God is doing a work. Uh, another way that we could say it is he is a craftsman. Does anybody do any uh, uh, hand, like woodworking or any other kind of craft where you'd say, I'm a craftsman? Okay, we have a few people. I love, I love to do woodworking, and so I have... I have furniture that's in my home, and I've shared it with family, and I've built some and sold it. And, and so there are pieces here and there, and while they're not perfect, it's something that I can look at and say, you know, I created that. That is something that I'm, I have a little bit of pride into. I put myself into that. And this is, this is God's attitude here. This is Jesus Christ who created us, and we are his craftsmanship, okay? I am God's craftsmanship. I was created in Christ Jesus. The the idea that we are postured with him, we are in Christ Jesus with a purpose he prepared for me to walk in. So let's say this one together. Let's go ahead and read this together. I am God's craftsmanship. I was created in Christ Jesus with a purpose he prepared me to walk in. Consider how God has called you to walk in your life. There, there are a few areas here that uh, I think about when I think about what he has prepared for us to do. First of all, the obvious one is career, or sometimes we'll call that vocation, okay? It's the work that you do, whether, it is, whether you're doing a work that's like, that's my dream job. That I've, I'm doing what I've always dreamed to do, something that I dreamt about when I was younger, and I'm, I'm fulfilling that that dream. I remember when I was uh, when I was uh, a young youngster, uh, <clears throat> kickstart age. Uh, I I used to love to watch. There was a TV show. This will tell you how old I am. Uh, Adam Twelve, which is kind of a spinoff of Dragnet. And when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a policeman. I wanted to be a policeman because I wanted to drive that car and I wanted to use the walkie-talkie and, and, or the, the CB radio and all of that. I just, I, I thought, I, you know, I didn't fulfill that dream in my life at all. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that, okay? But some of you may be living that out. Like, I, I'm living the dream. But others of us, maybe in a job or a situation, our vocation is kind of like, that's not really what I wanted to do at all. I'm kind of just doing this thing to get by, and I'm taking responsibility for myself and my family, and I'm bringing home money, and I'm kind of engaging in it. You may or may not like what you're doing, but that happens to be your vocation. That's what you happen to be doing right now, your, your work. 
But I think there's another area, and I was talking with somebody else about this a little bit earlier today, that the station in life, that, that's where you find yourself. It can, be, it can have uh, a, a lot to do with your family or your, your family situation. Maybe you're married or you're single. Uh, you have children that are either young or they're teenagers. Maybe, maybe you're an empty nest where you are. Maybe you don't have any children. Maybe you find yourself divorced or remarried. And there's, there's a, this is part of the station that you have in life, the relationships that you have. Also, the station in life can be like where you're at right now. Are you settled? Like uh, my wife and I just bought a new house a few months ago, and I've had a lot of people ask me, is that the last one you're going to have? And, my, and Katie will say, yeah, we're not moving anymore. No more, we're not moving. That kind of be the retirement home. And I mean, that is a long way away, folks. I don't believe that that's happening now. But we hope that we don't have to, I mean, and if any of you had that experience of moving, we were getting rid of things months ago when we were trying to sell our house. And as we were moving, we were getting rid of more stuff. And Katie is down in the basement unpacking boxes and loading up her car and getting rid of more stuff. How do we accumulate so much stuff? And so in many ways, we're kind of not settled right now, but maybe some of you are. Maybe you're transitioning. You're kind of like, I'm in between those places. I'm not settled right now. I'm kind of in a temporary situation. Uh, and you're looking for the next place. Or maybe you're still searching. Okay, that's part of your station in life. Where does God have you right now? What's your station in life? And the last item that I want to kind of think about is our proximity. And what I mean by that is look up and look around. Like when you walk out your door, where does God have you? Do you know your neighbors? Who, is the, who are the people who live to the right and to the left of you? This is the place where God has put you. Even this morning, look at the person on your right and your left. Maybe there's a person you're sitting next to, you're like, I know that person because that's my spouse or my significant other or my child or somebody like that. But the other person on the other side may be somebody I've never met before. They just happen to be sitting with me in the row this morning. God has placed you there, has put you there with that person. And so... I have, my mentor would say to me and say to all, in, in all of his teaching, I remember him saying, talking about, you know, when you stand in line or when you sit at a table in a restaurant, that the people that are serving you or the people that are there waiting with you are there by no accident. That God has placed you in the place where you are to be present in that moment. And he would even say, as he's sitting at the table, talking to the wait waiter or waitress, the server, whoever it is, I believe that God has placed you in my life for this moment. How can I pray for you? Now, that is, that's gutsy. That's a challenge. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that position, but you feel like, okay, I recognize that I am not just here to take up space. I'm not just sucking in air. I, am, I have a purpose even in this moment. There's a, there's a proximity to what I am doing right now. And in that area, uh, God doesn't waste that time. Now, we can choose whether, what we'll do with that time, but God's desire is not for us to waste that time. It's not, and it's not about doing something. It's not about like, I, I, you know, when I go into a restaurant and everybody that I talk to is like, I, I'm busy. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta talk to that person and tell them about Jesus. And I gotta talk to that person. It's more of just being present. Like, it's natural. It's who, it's who I am I'm being present with Christ. 
Remember, this often could be the way that you and I consider time. We talked about that last week. They talked about the, little, the difference between chronos time, which is the Greek word that talks about our schedule, and you know, we have scheduled moments that we have, and that can be important, or the difference, between, the difference between that and kairos time, which talks about time as an opportunity, an opportunity that every moment we have an opportunity I was having my morning coffee this morning. I, I made it kind of my regular thing that uh, on, on Sunday mornings now, I, I'll head out at 6 a.m. I'm on campus at, at the Morris Inn. I'll go in, and I know several of the people because I'm there often to get coffee. And, um, and, and, and even depending on who's serving, they'll see me walk by the window, and they've got my cup right there already. That's so cool. I love that. But there's, a, there's, this, there's this lady that I, and I've maybe mentioned her in the past, uh, she, she works the night shift. And so if I get there at 6, she's almost ready to be done. Her name is Tanya. I love her. She's just a very bubbly personality. And I just had this interaction with her for a moment. She was telling me about her dad. And, um, and her dad, uh, she said, I was away last week because my dad was just diagnosed with bladder cancer and just a real difficult time. And and, and, and uh, her dad is a person of faith. He's a Christian, and she was really happy and proud to be able to say that. But she said to me, but my dad's doctor is an atheist. Okay? Yeah, I got a little bit of reaction there. He's like, because I think that sometimes, like, if you're a person of faith, and do you want your hands to be in somebody who is an atheist? And you know what, what he said to her? He said, absolutely. Why would I change my doctor? Because what I want in this moment, like he's in need, he is in pain, he is struggling with something that could be terminal in his life, he is saying at this moment, I want to live my life in my station where I'm at so that that person could see the glory of God. Regardless of what happens in his life, whether he is healed, which is awesome, or the miracle of just showing his, uh, God's presence even in his passing. That's tremendous. What an example to live, to understand that where I find myself right now, no matter how I feel about where I am right now, that I am walking out my life, and every moment counts. Every moment is Kairos time. Every moment is an opportunity. It is the same truth that God would teach Abram when he called him. And I, I, I oftentimes will go back to this verse because it is so... It should be something that is emblazoned in our hearts where God will call Abram and say, leave your country, the thing that you know, right? And your people, the people that you're close with, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God takes Abram and his family and puts him in what we call the crossroads of the earth, where all nations will have to travel through and make their way. And when I say all nations, it's people of all kinds, not, not, people that, not only people that just believe in Yahweh God and worship the God that we worship, but worship other gods and idols, or maybe none. And they live different kinds of lives, and yet God is saying, Abram, I'm putting you here to a place that is strange to you, and I've blessed you for a purpose, for a reason. 
And so Paul will echo those same words in the verse that we quoted just a little bit ago. Can we see that God in his wisdom placed each and every one of us here today within our vocation and our station and our proximity in life to bring a blessing to the world, to walk it out. And whatever you hold or feel that you lack, it is enough for God to use to bring his presence into the world. But we must be willing, just like Abram, to go and to walk by faith. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we take those first steps? How do we walk? Well, first, we need to understand that God has placed us in relationship with him, and he desires for us to be one in Christ, one in Christ, okay? And so that's this passage that I want to get to. I want to dig into quite a few verses in 4 and 5 of this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And listen to what it says. <clears throat> as a prisoner for the Lord, then, and that's, I, I mean, I could pick it apart as we go. I mean, just think, he, this is what Paul considers his station in life. And he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, how do you think he feels about where he's at right now? Right? Have you ever felt that way? How would you address this letter in your place right now? As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I just want to pause there and just think about this language that Paul is using in this letter. Um, I don't know if you grab it at all, but this is a marriage language that, God is taught, that, that Paul is using here. In fact, in chapter 5, uh, he, will, he will actually quote from Genesis in, fact, in chapter 5 in verses 31 and 32, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about one body, a unification of between us and, one, and our fellow human beings and God. And all of us together, we share a relationship with one another. We are one in Christ. In fact, Paul, uh, not Paul the apostle, but Paul the elder, <laughs> one of my fellow elders here, talked about this in one of his most recent sermons. Uh, with this, this idea that we have this relationship with one another when God created Adam and he looked at Adam and said, it is not good that man should be alone, so I will make a what for him? A helpmate. Yeah, we, that's what we get out of the King James. It's terrible. Uh, it's, a, it's a helper, but it's not just a helper like, like Adam was like this, this uh, superior individual and, and I just need a little bit of help over here. No, it's etzer connecto is the, is the words that are used here. It is this, it's this help that opposes. It helps Adam to be stronger because by himself he is very weak. And so God created another human being, took a part of him, and we become one with one another. 
Now, isn't it interesting that Paul will begin this oneness and talk about the way, and our, the way that we should act toward one another. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another. <laughs> I, 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 get the, I get the chuckles already in here because some of you are married and you understand that this is not always the way it is. And you think about the relationships that you have, Paul is, Paul is talking about like relationships aren't easy. Relationships are not easy thing, but this is what God does. He brings us together, and in, that, in the midst of those struggles, if we could just pause for a moment and recognize, wow, that person, these people, this community, I need them. Because, and it's not just when I feel good about it. They're going to show me things that were going to maybe be difficult for me to see and to understand. Let's continue on in the text. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's a purpose in there. Come back to that in just a second. Until... We all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. He's echoing the same words that he will use in Corinthians that talk about how important each and every one of us is to this body. And we strive to be one with one another. I just want to focus just for a a moment here on this gift, these gifts that God gives here. And as he gives us these grace gifts. He gives us something to be used. And I don't know how you feel about this, but sometimes we can read these and maybe we can point to it and say, well, I'm kind of like that. But I, my sneaking suspicion is that there are many of us in this room that look at that list and think, I don't know where I fit in. I don't know where I fit in. And that's very real. And I, and I think a lot of it is just because of the words that are being used here, and they, they're kind of they're churchy words, right? And if we break them apart, we might be able to understand some things. One of the things that I, uh, I, I want to show you and, and give you a little bit of homework today is to check out a website. It's called thefivefoldministry.com, and if you go to that website, there's a little, very short little test that you can do online, uh, and it will kind of give you an idea based on who you are and your passions and your drives and your skill set, maybe where you might fall into place in, in that. And, uh, and so Paul will talk about in this letter about five different, different areas. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here in this moment, but in the next slide, it, it shows you just kind of what those, 
what these, how these will pick apart. It's, um, oh, those other words didn't come out there. Well, I'll just go through. Uh, I just grabbed this. I did not create this slide. I, I cut and paste from something on Google. So, But an apostle, he talks about apostle. Again, a word that's kind of, kind of a churchy word, but the, the idea, and it's, these are not big, it's not a big A apostle. We're not talking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the rest of them, okay? This apostle is a small A apostle, meaning somebody who is a visionary, somebody who will take, take ground, somebody who is going to, uh, to lead with a defined vision. Some of us have been given that kind of gift, Okay, maybe you're like that. You can say, all right, I wouldn't call myself an apostle, but yeah, that's my personality. That is the kind of way that I am a prophet. It's one who strengthens and encourages and speaks truth and isn't afraid to speak truth when it is not favorable. So a prophet is going to be somebody who is going to bring encouragement to a group of people, okay? An evangelist is somebody who brings good news, Okay, it's going to be somebody who proclaims something that is very important that everybody should hear. I want, and some of you are like that. You cannot wait to tell something about some, tell everybody about something good that has happened in your life. You are by nature an evangelist or a pastor. I think I kind of find myself in this area, not because I have that title, but because my nature is one who nurtures and cares for and protects. I kind of have that somebody who has a spirit of hospitality is going to be somebody who, who knows how to love and spend time with people, will sit with another person and listen. No matter how busy their schedule is, they're going to take some time. That's what a pastor is. And a teacher is somebody who instructs and brings wisdom. You have a knowledge, and it humbly you imparted upon people you, this knowledge and this instruction. Okay, so here's just five things that Paul will lay out in this letter, and he says God has given gifts to all of his people, and somewhere we find ourselves there. And what I want to do is I want to I qualify this by saying it can be very easy to look at this text and pigeon pigeonhole people into all of these different areas and kind of organize our ministry, and this is the only way that you function within a church. But that's not real life, because every one of us will leave this building and we'll go on and do something else. And our church life sometimes is one, two hours, three hours, if you're really committed, four or five hours a week, and that's it. Real life happens beyond these doors. Okay, and so this is not, this is not just about what we do inside the, these walls, but it does have an effect on what we do here as well. And we, as a congregation, encourage one another in that. And I also want to talk about the church just for a minute and, and offer you some thoughts here. Church, the church is not a social organization. It has a social aspect to it, but we do not exist to, uh, to, for everybody to come into these doors, and every time you come here, I hope you have a good time today. You might, but there may be a time for you to lament while you are here. There may be a time for you to grieve or to be sad or, or to, you know, whatever it might be. This is not a place where we create activities so that you all feel good about it. That's not what a family does. A family doesn't just get together when we all feel good with one another, do we? 
or we're also not a benevolent service organization. That may be a part of who we are, but that's not our focus. That's not the number one thing that we do. We don't, and this benevolent organization doesn't need volunteers and money to, 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 uh, to meet people's needs only. And we oftentimes will do that. I need, a, I need a lot of people to come and fill in these roles and things like that. But what if we help one another to see our place and how we fit into this structure, how we fit into this family, and then leverage those good things? Folks, if, on, if those are the only two things that we think about the church, that we're a social organization or we're always trying to cry out for people to give their time and their money, this is what emerging generations find today repulsive and devaluing of the church. And it needs to be bigger than that for us. We need to rise above this. I think that this is what Paul is talking about when he talks about we're not going to be tossed about by every little whim that somebody has, but we're going to live maturely with one another. We're going to value each other in this room to recognize that every person in here has a place, has a seat, and this is how we walk out our lives together. The second way that we walk, not just that we have this oneness, this connectiveness with one another, but we are transformed. We are transformed. Look at verse 17. So I will tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to put on the new attitude, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I'll just pause right there. This, this attitude that the, the, it's, it's very laid out. It's, it's when I go home after a hard day of work, I can't wait to take the tie off, take those confining dress clothes off, and get into something more comfortable. I change my clothes and it's that picture that I put off, I take off that old thing, and I discard it, and I put it away, and I become something new. And when I put on this new person, I put on righteousness, which I think is also a misinterpreted word, because we think of being righteous as somebody who, is, who doesn't do anything wrong. He's a righteous dude. And if you know that reference, you also know how old I am. 
But a righteous person is not somebody who just does things that are right or correct, but it is somebody who walks out their faith. That's what righteousness truly means. That as I, if I testify that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I am transformed to walk like him. And holiness, again, it's not a word that talks about our behavior, but it talks about our commitment, that if we are holy, we are washed, and we are set apart, we say to God, I am committing my walk to you. I am committing my walk to conform to your nature, to be like you in this world. Try as I might, I can't seem to do that all the time. Let me, uh, I'm going I'm to finish reading this portion of the text and, in, and dig into that. Because listen to what Paul will say. He says, therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we all are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And he who is stealing must not steal any longer but must work to do something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any wholesome t- unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, Anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. I'm kind of smiling when I read these words because I'm thinking, that's not describing me. (laughs) And maybe you look at that and you think, yeah, I can think of one, two, three dozen areas in my life this week where I have not lived that out. I have not put off the old self. I have not put on the new self. And so I think about the relationships that I have. I think about, particularly, I think about people I don't get along with. Because we all get along, right, here in this, we all get along really well. So it's nobody in here. I'm not talking about any of you. But there may be somebody. It could be your boss. It could be your coworker. It could be, maybe it, it could be a family member. It could be somebody, and you know that every time that you're going to be interact with that individual, something is going to well up within you, and you are going to be some, somebody that is ugly. If you look in the mirror, it's like, oh, I hate it when I'm like that. And so you pray to God. You pray, God, Lord, increase my love for this person. Give me love. And you think, okay, now I'm bolstered, I'm ready, I'm, I'm, I can go into an interaction with this person, I set out with this genuine desire to display this newfound love that God has given me. And it's true, he has given it to me. <laughs> and yet, when I'm in that person's presence, <laughs> something changes, and I'm back to my old way of thinking. <laughs> and that resentment flares up in my in my words and my actions, and I know who I am, I will use manipulative words and, and try to get something, I try to get that person to, to kind of change the way I think that they should be. You aren't wrong in seeking love from God. That's not what we're talking about here. You are wrong, we are wrong, in seeking that love is something in itself is the only thing that we seek. Love is not a commodity. 
Love is not something that you go into the local drugstore and say, I need this thing to fix me. And you pick it up off the shelf and you take a drink or you take a couple pills and now I have love. Love is not something you buy. I think it's kind of the difference between, we all know willpower, right? If I just, if I just, if I force my will in a certain way, I can be changed. I want to suggest a different phrase. How about will surrender? Will surrender. God has given us in Christ all that we need. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 Ah, this prayer that we go back to, that I love to go back to. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the met to the measure of all the fullness of God. God has already given us that. So how do we find it? How do we make it sustainable in our lives so that we can walk it out? I would go to the Apostle John, who spent chapter after chapter talking about how important it is for us to abide in Christ. It's not about getting something that I don't have. What I need more than anything is Jesus. I need Jesus in my life, and the only way that I'm going to get him in my life is to spend time with him. And that is when we are able to then be transformed, because now I begin looking more like Jesus and not Lowell, who went and picked up some love, <laughs> right? I want to know him more, and that will lead us then to imitate be imitators of Christ. And so Paul will continue. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For it is this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Uh, does anybody have a hard time with some of the things he's writing here because he just keeps going and going and going? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret." But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. This is the key. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. 
because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of love. It's easier said than done. And we've already acknowledged that. And as I look at this passage, it can be easy for me to be discouraged because I see in this list items as if I'm looking in the mirror. And I'm far from that ideal. But what Paul is talking about here is the difference between foolishness and wisdom. And so he says in that, make the most of every opportunity. He's not seeking perfection. It's Kairos time again. It's opportunity in the moment. In other words, and in another uh, letter, he will write these words. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. If we trust that God is doing a good work in us now, he will carry it through. And so as we are being transformed into his image, as we are walking it out, God is walking with us. It's not something that's going to be, look at it, boom, change, and you're changed. It's going to be, I live in Christ, and I walk with him, and he continues to do his work in me. He continues to mold me and make me into his image, and I need to trust him to do that good work. <laughs> I love, Katie and I have been uh, watching through, I don't know what, what time this is, uh, but we've we switched over to Everybody Loves Raymond as our binge watch. <laughs> and what does, what does his wife always say to him when he is lazy or he is, uh, he is doing something in his insecurity? What, is, what does she call him, even under her breath? Idiot. <laughs> we don't need any of that. I don't need it. I know I'm an idiot. <laughs> but I don't need you to emphasize that for me. Part of this walking out, folks, as we live together with one another, is not to necessarily point out all of the wrong things that each of us, that I already know that. I already know that I'm an idiot sometimes, but not in Christ. And so Paul will say, speak to one another in What? Sing a song to me, <laughs> not about me, but sing a song to me. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What if we took just one psalm, just came to my mind as I was thinking of this, Psalm 139, and we said this or spoke this or even sang it if we want to to the other person. For you were created in God's inmost being. You were knit together by God in your mother's womb. I praise God because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's works are wonderful, and I see that in you. Now, that might be contrived, but say it in your own words. <laughs> Speak truth into other people's lives so that they see how they fit in 
And so when Paul talks about this submission, it's not one of being oppressed or crushed. It's not one of, it's not one of I am uh, over you and, uh, or you're over me and I'm, I'm submitting to you. It is one that is this picture of Jesus who comes to his disciples. He says, I am here, but I am coming down here and I wash your feet. And he tells us to do the same. That we and love and encourage one another in that. This is how we walk out faith. It is not a condemnation. It's not a judgment. But it is an understanding that we are all in this together as one body. Uh, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this, and I thought about, I was thinking about things that we do in our lives that we just don't like to do. But we all, it's sometimes it's a necessary thing. It's something that we, we have to do. And I was thinking about vocations, and I was thinking about jobs that other people do that are, would not be a job that I could probably stomach. And I got to thinking about my son, Daniel. And I'll, uh, my son, uh, my oldest son, Daniel, uh, he is a CNA. He works in a nursing home. He's been working in nursing homes for I don't know how many years. And I remember, I remember Katie and I, when, when Daniel found that, uh, that vocation, quite by chance, because he was kind of struggling to find out where he fit in the world. And then he started working in nursing homes. And we thought, oh, God, you are so awesome. You are so wise. Because the thing, Daniel, he, he loves helping people to change them, to gently care for them, to give them a bath, to do things that you and I may not be able to do. And, and he talks about it like, I'm in my sweet spot. I'm doing this thing that I love. And you know what I love about that is in that moment I see Jesus in my son. And that's where you and I all need to be. Not, not, not that we, ha we shouldn't, I'm not saying you should go and do that because that might not be how you were made. But whatever you are doing, wherever you find yourself, that you are, you look like Jesus when you do it. And then think about what that looks like when we all are like that, this one body, doing that all together in unity and harmony. What will the people on the south side see? Jesus. Not the Living Stones Church or a name over a banner or anything like that. It's not about making a name for ourselves, but we live our lives out in a way that people see Jesus, that is walking out our faith. I want you all to know that I see Jesus in each and every one of you, and I'm thankful for you because as I look at you, I know that you represent the, all of the goodness of God in your life. Be encouraged, my friends, my family. Uh, today. May I pray? And then we'll go into our time of communion. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for uh, being present among us, uh, giving us one another to be together in this body, uh, in all of our imperfections, 
and all of our, our, uh, our struggles and our striving, times when we have doubt, and times when we just excel and are at our best. Father, in all of those moments, uh, may you be glorified so that the world might see Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.